Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel America's number one sports book is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. One more episode. We got to talk about the loss to the Vikings, 24 to 16, that the Ravens just had. The good news, though, is that there's a brand new Ravens game tomorrow, so we can quickly get past this with some Thursday night football. So, this is film study with Ken McCusick. So, let's get Ken McCusick on. Ken, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing, doing good. I'm enjoying the uh, World Series. Okay. One to nothing now in the, in the third was the last I heard. Yeah, as we record this on Wednesday night, uh, Verlander's doing what Verlander does, and somehow Rich Hill is starting a World Series game. But, yeah, it's uh, been a good series, and playoffs this year have been excellent for Major League Baseball, so I've been enjoying that a lot. And I've been enjoying, enjoying that a whole lot more than Ravens football this year, unfortunately. There you go. Um, the Ravens are, are frustrating, and the Ravens, I get that it's injuries, and I watch the game, and I say, who? Uh, because there's new guys I'm learning, because the stars, the guys I've been counting on, are not playing the games. So I'm really starting to come to this point that I'm, I know there's, you're going to tell me that the Ravens are still in this, that the, the NFL is down as a whole, their division's down. Don't worry about the loss to the Jaguars. The, Steel- the Steelers lost to the Jaguars as well. The Steelers lost to the Bears as well. So I know technically we're still in it, but I feel like this season's done. <laughs> How do I handle all of this? And uh, the state, well, What do we do? 
Well, it's funny you mentioned it because we, I wrote today a little bit about the five stages of grief, and part of that is out of frustration that people, I don't have a problem with giving up on a football season for your team making the playoffs, but that's not the only reason that, that you watch football. I mean, it, you, you should enjoy the competitive aspect of it, and probably more importantly, it's a player development exercise as well in terms of of this team in 2018. And we, fans, we have the longest term investment in our franchise, much longer than the owner who is pressured by current events, much longer than the coaches who are pressured by the potential loss of their job, and much more than the players themselves who will move around with free agency. So that's why fans love draft picks and owners or, or even uh, management will often trade them. But let's just talk about those five stages of grief for a second, because that's really, you know, people are in various stages with the Ravens. So the first stage one is moping over a particular loss. You have a bad call, a missed opportunity, a flag thrown at the wrong time, foot stepped out of bounds, it wasn't caught. Very similar to denial and a stage one of, of the standard stages of grief. And I know many fans who, who uh, do this every single week, and very few really can avoid it. Right. I think it's healthy, but I've, you want I've, to minimize I've, I've got it. I've got this. We would have beat the Bears if Wallace would not have gone down immediately. Wallace would have gone down, or I could point to Weddle's missed tackle, right. cost them the game on that play. So you, you, you certainly can come up with that. But that's, a, that's an example of stage one. Healthy, normal to have that after any loss. The second one is complaining general about the complaining generally about the scheme and lack of creativity from the coordinators and I, I really I really term this as anger because fans need a way to direct their anger and it, it can't be the players because if it's the players if it's more than a couple players anyway then you can't replace them yeah you can switch out one lineman for another you can you can sometimes switch out one running back for another if one is fumbling maybe one recite wide receiver can be sit down but you can't sit down your whole team. You know they're they're the guys you have, and you know the the intractable cap and the situation doesn't allow you to exchange them like Apple cards. So you you have to play with what you got. So the guys you get mad at are the coordinators. But Ken, when when Rex Ryan was here, he had Ed Reed coming in in all directions. He had Ed Reed always knowing where the ball was. Rex Ryan had Ray Lewis up there making things exciting. Rex Ryan did creative stuff and pressured the quarterback. Yes, I agree. I mean, there there are reasons to not like the way Dean Pease has coached this team defensively, and I think one of the big reasons that a lot of fans don't like him is he's done it differently. Not necessarily worse. I mean, Dean has his own way of dealing with things, but you know, my pet peeve with him is he stayed away from the dime for five years before accepting it this year, and and that was something that the Ravens defense had always done very well. Ozzie Newsom had drafted dimes effectively and cheaply in the sixth round and later, and it's something that Dean Pease got away from. And I always felt like the linebackers were picked on on third down, and uh, and he was not you know following a successful strategy going around. But that's the kind of blame we lay that on the coordinators. They don't listen to it for the most part. Dean Pease showed some indication that he's been upset about it so far this year saying you know i'm tired of hearing that that everything's going to hell because you know it really isn't this is normal you know that's going on I'm paraphrasing of course but he said finished with and i'm 68 years old so what the hell <laughs> so uh he's seemingly okay with this and i think this very well might be his last season with a statement like that right yeah because i am not 68 i am uh still a good away from that and i would like the ravens to win 
Yes, and I'd like to win the Ravens to win before I'm 68, and that isn't that far away. That's well, that, like 14 years away from me. So. That's my that's my wish for the Orioles. <laughs> Next 30 years, let's let's get win something. Win something. There you go. Okay, so stage three. Stage three in the normal track, it would be bargaining. And I tell you, football fans are perfectly capable of that, too. They suggest trades. They want releases. They want acquisitions. And the, the common thread seems to be there's no consideration for the practical constraints of the league rules or the salary cap. So Okay, so let's fire Flacco. Or get, yeah, cut Flacco. Uh, Stan Kaepernick off the street. He can play tonight. They, right. that's, that's perfect. So not only can you not sign Kaepernick because you have to restructure a bunch of deals to do so, if you cut Flacco in the process, you also have this huge amount of dead money, which accelerates. And, you know, the, the cap just doesn't allow you to make, you know, open-handed trades the way people do at the baseball deadline when the Dodgers can take on $150 million of extra salary at the right. drop of a hat. Anyway, it is what it is. And I, I, when I, when you run into people like that, I just try not to engage them. Young Ken would have done that. Old Ken tries to avoid that. And uh, you know, just don't risk your blood pressure on it when you, when you hear that kind of stuff. Okay, so stage four in the standard thing is depression. And we've got a lot to be depressed about this season with the Ravens, but I think we can all agree that injury is probably the most depressing thing about this season so far. They're a fact of life in the NFL. Coaches won't use them as an excuse, they, at least not until the season is over. Sometimes they'll, re- they'll reflect back and say, yeah, we just had a lot of injuries this year and it was, it was really horrible. But that's really in, when they're in save their jobs mode. During the season, depression isn't useful to motivate a team, as you can expect. And it's certainly not actionable, the injuries that occur. Next man up is really all you can say. And the second part of this is that no one really wants a full-scale investigation of the causes of injury. No one who's responsible for yeah, the team's the, the NFL does not want a full investigation. I think there's, there's lots of people who are not making money from the NFL that are calling for some more stringent health uh, research. Yeah, you're, you're talking about general player safety, and I'm talking about relative player safety from team to team. So okay. I, my question would be, why do the Ravens have more injuries than the Eagles? I understand there's going to be a ton of injuries, right. but, but why, do, why, why do the Ravens have more than the Eagles? And why is this year worse than the previous years? There you go. Yeah, so that's, that's exactly right. So anyway, for 2017, this might be the most appropriate stage for Ravens fans to be in, but certainly is no fun, and that's why it's called depression, right? Yeah, um, so right. this is the stage. All right, this is the stage that I think many, many Raven fans are at. When Sunday, when Wallace goes down, you're just saying, "Of course, it's this year. It's injuries," and and then yeah. it's Thursday night football is coming up tomorrow. So it's going into the game. The storyline is going to be injuries, 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 and you're going to get a lot of Raven fans that are going to say, "Who's going down today? Might be Flacco tonight." Yeah, uh, I mean, certainly it's it's been a horrible, depressing run. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, there are a lot of great players in the NFL that have gone down. I mean, J.J. Watt and Rodgers and, right. you know, just all Peters last night and Yonda. I mean, it's just a lot of pl- great players have gone down, but it's, uh, it's still very depressing individually for yeah. the Ravens who have suffered more than others. And, yeah, and, you're way, and as Raven fans, we're way more focused on uh, – for us, it feels like Marshall Yanda hurts more than an Aaron Rodgers injury. Though it, it does hurt more for us. <laughs> for us, yes. And for the NFL as a whole, they are dying that Aaron Rodgers is done. Yeah, absolutely. And they've done a lot to protect quarterbacks. Okay, well, let's move on to stage five here, which is in the normal stages of grief is acceptance. So 
Uh, obsession over draft options is what I normally equate with acceptance. Okay, if you think so about, throw, in, throw in the towel. Is that where you're going? Throw in the they've towel. Thrown in, people have thrown in the towel. And so you're, you're the Browns and you're 0-5 after five games this year. And you're already worrying about, you know, what's your draft position going to be? And um, it's, it's somewhere they've been virtually every week since 1999 is trying to figure out how are they going to get a good draft position. They're always a little bit concerned about the value of tanking. They did make the playoffs one year. They came close another. So it hasn't been 100% of the time, but it's been an awful lot of their time has been spent trying to figure out where are they going to draft and is this finally the spot where they can get their franchise quarterback. Um, There's football being played out there, Ravens fans. You know, get used to it, and perhaps you can enjoy the competition. Maybe it's just a player development exercise to you, but enjoy. Try and enjoy this on some level. We get a limited number of these mini Super Bowls, particularly the home games, in our entire lifetime. You spend 50 years as a fan, you only get 400 home games, plus a couple more in the playoffs if you're you're lucky as well. But that's all you get. Really enjoy these things. yeah, we we expect a lot from the Ravens. We really do expect a winning season every year, and there's not much of a leash for struggles. I, I would agree. I think there's not not a lot of talent, not a lot of tolerance for it, and uh, I, I frankly I just don't have any interest in handicapping the Ravens' draft position until they're eliminated from the playoffs. And it really, even then. I only want to talk about it during games. I don't want to have somebody tweeting me or or. It, blabbing about the Ravens draft position and and wanting attention over it uh, during the middle of a game when I'm trying to analyze the play itself. There's plenty of time between games. There's plenty of time after the season before the draft, for that matter. Right. What I uh, don't want to do is have the discussion in late December saying, well, if maybe the Ravens should have played hard in October, November, and not given up that early because look how soft the division ended up. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you could end up you could end up with a nice run at the end and finish a game short of the playoffs, and then be pretty upset about it. But uh, but it is what it is, and and you know, the the season may well go by the boards in these next two weeks. They're, these are critical weeks. The Ravens need to win these next two games, two AFC games. Their opponents, who they may run into a tiebreaker situation with, uh, very important to win these. They've got a, a a good situation against Miami. You know, more right. than a fifty percent chance to win, but then a tough game at Tennessee that'll really be a test. Right. So and I hear you. I hear you saying these are the two big games: Miami with Matt Moore coming to town, and then going to Tennessee. But as the the Ravens fan going through these stages of grief, I feel like well, the past three games were were weak quarterbacks that they were supposed to take advantage of. So why should I trust that this team can win tomorrow night? That they can win next week? You you don't have to trust. You just have to you just have to hope. At this point, I, you know, obviously, particularly not just this game, but the next game against Tennessee, you just have to hope. So it, it's a there's a, there are really talented players still playing for this team, despite the fact the offense looks like utter crap. There's a decent offensive line. There's a well-coached offensive line. There is a decent quarterback in there somewhere. And, you know, there are talented receivers that if they could get back on the field, it would be really nice. I think after the bye week, they will have a lot of players back. It won't necessarily matter if they're 3-6, and six, but they will have a lot of players back after the bye. And, I, and I, I still hope the Ravens are playing meaningful football in December, no matter how much that might hurt their draft position in so doing.
health health is something that could give me hope. If you're telling me we're going to have some health after the bye, if we can get through these two games, that gives me some hope to say, all right, well, this second half, maybe they can do something. Yeah. I, I wish I had some better news on that because right now, and I want to get to the actual list here because it's, it's depressing. Yeah, the, the injury list and the questionable <laughs> list for tomorrow night against the Dolphins is very depressing because I don't know how they're going to field an, an entire team. Yeah, that, I mean, that's exactly right. They've got five guys who are doubtful or out, and they, basically all five of those guys are not going to play. And then they have 11 questionables, nine of whom have to play just so the Ravens can get to 46. And guess what? Among the questionables is not a single defensive lineman. So they're already going to probably activate seven defensive linemen again, which gives them this unbalanced roster that they're going to be shorthanded at at some of the skill positions and lots of extra rotational depth on the defensive line, which doesn't probably do them a lot of good. Uh, you know, I really have concerns about their ability to to make something happen here. But maybe this is the week they figure out how to use Ricard differently. He's a full-time tight end instead of being a pretend defensive uh, tackle, and he's and he's in there playing a lot more snaps. So, anyway. You say nine of these questionable guys have to play to get to 46. That's right. All right, so that means they need to suit up. They might not get on the field. They'll be in the sideline as an emergency guy. What if you can't get to 46? What well, if, if you, you can't, can't get, to- get nine guys, <laughs> what do they do? I mean, they can play with 45 if they have to. I mean, or, or they could make a, a transaction and bring somebody up. Now, all those are possible. It, it, making a transaction would be probably putting somebody on IR, so the move has a has a permanence to it they're not going to like. They might rather try and get through the game with 45 or even 44 players if that's what it really amounts to. But on the questionable list right now, and nine of these 11 guys have to play, are Tony Jefferson, Anthony Levine, who had some sort of back injury, Jeremy Macklin, he's still got problems. Uh, Peanut, so if they, I don't even know. I mean, Correa playing a whole game at inside linebacker would be a, a big change. Brashad Perriman uh, coming out of the, and, and Wallace for that matter, both coming out of the concussion protocol. I do not believe they've been certified yet, but I but I do not necessarily have updated information. Did, did Wallace fail the protocol on Sunday? Uh it was, I don't know. I don't was, know exactly why you know, it, it happened. Was, it was awkward with on TV. With they kept yes. doing shots of him, angry and yelling on the on the sideline because he wanted to go out there. You would think if he failed the protocol, he would understand why he can't go out there. I I I think he he might have failed the protocol and not understood because of the head injury. And and they, Trent Green alluded to it on the sideline. He said, you know, the more he walks around looking for his helmet, the more he's convincing everybody he's got a head injury. And I. I you, know, you hate to laugh at a situation like that, but the, the whole thing with him searching for his helmet is just, it, it was the, one of the most bizarre sideline things I've ever seen. It, it, it's, it's up there with you know, some, of the, some of the buffoonery we saw from T.O. during his career, and, and yet you know this is related probably to the head injury. It's not anything that's, Wallace is not a bad person, he just is not himself uh, with, the, with the head injury. Okay. So anyway. All right, I, I can understand that. Um, but then my thought response to that is it's only it's four days later there's no way he's gonna he would clear a concussion clears in four days i i don't know how i I honestly don't know how long it takes normally i think we have seen a lot of people return in one week certainly um so we'll see you know i i i believe he was back at practicing maybe non-contact this week i don't know how details exactly so uh i'd rather not speculate further on that but uh, it it would not surprise me if if one or both of these guys suit up on Sunday. Okay, Perriman and Wallace. Well, because they need them. 
Yeah, because because they have to. I mean, they can't. They won't be allowed to suit him up if they haven't passed the protocol. But right. I'm, but, but I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, the Ravens need them to pass. They need they need wide receivers on the field. It, it, that's true, but it's an independent evaluation, so it's not in the Ravens' hands to decide yes. whether or not they're ready to go. Right. I understand. All right. So uh, Matt Skura is a really interesting one because the Ravens need him back. Uh, Illuminor, and we're going to get to this in a minute or two, had an awful game. But Matt Skura is really needed back for multiple reasons. One, he's the seventh lineman. They, they, they cut Bergstrom for the second straight week to try and you know move another guy into the roster, and, and the Redskins signed him this time. So the, the Ravens are, are down to seven exact linemen on the roster currently, and if Skura can't go, they have to activate somebody off the practice squad and send somebody to IR. And I really don't know. I don't, I don't really know what they would do. I, I don't think you can play with six linemen. I think it's way too risky in an NFL game, and uh, you, you could very well end up with uh, Ricard playing guard if that happened. I mean, so, this uh, is your nightmare as an NFL team and why you don't want Thursday night games. To have, to come, to have a rough, beat-up team have to come out and play four days later. Yeah, it's, it's, Thursday night games are tough, and they're very tough on the road team, which is why I'm kind of bullish on the Ravens this week. Is, is it's very hard to travel for a Thursday night game. Uh, in particular, so I, I like the Ravens' chances in this one. But yeah, you're right. I mean, just the, the injury issues are, are are scary for this team. Right. Um, I don't think the Dolphins need to worry about uh, the home crowd this week. It seems like people are not hyped up for this game on Thursday. Tickets are only twenty five bucks if you want to buy a ticket online and head on over to, to the stadium. Uh, that I find that a lot very interesting to try to figure out why that's the case this year and if it's the injuries if it's the losing or if it is uh political or just a state of where we're at right now as a culture okay i mean you don't have an answer i, I don't know i'm just saying it's you can get a cheap ticket right now 25 bucks that's i mean that's a that's absurdly low i, I wonder what a what a midfield seat is really going to cost you for right but no, but anyway that, it's, that's 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 upper deck that's way up there uh, but it gets you in the stadium. I, I will say this. Crazy things happen on the margin within one day of a game. So I don't know when you looked, but the morning of the Mile High Miracle game, you get tickets for a playoff game in Denver for $39. Oh, wow. So, so okay. I, you know, right up to the end, crazy things happen. I see. Yeah. Um, all right, so we got to the injury situation. One guy who is not hurt, who is – was hurt last year he's back seems to be healthy right now on the field as far as i can tell is joe flacco um he's not doing anything great is it that he has no one to throw to or is he still not great he's clearly not elite and uh bleacher report had put out their new cartoon this year having fun with the joe flacco not elite and making some good points on the fact that Joe Flacco is not elite, but elite Joe has became a national joke for some reason, where you see uh, Donald Trump answering the question to anyone where I saw a thing where the Blue Man Group was asked about Donald about <laughs> Joe Flacco being elite. So that's a joke, but let's just look at how's Joe Flacco doing this year. Is there a concern there, or should I relax? No need to cut Joe Flacco regardless of the salary cap. Effects. Okay. Okay. Well, it'll it'll be a major pig through the python to get Joe Flacco's dead money through the 
through the cap. So when it happens, it will be a very tough year the next year with a lot of dead money and a very constrained, austere budget for the for the for the cap to to uh, be put together. And then on top of all that, they're going to have to go out to the draft and find that next guy, whoever it is. Right. So you know, to me, I I don't he's not going anywhere. Will he? Will they? Finally, break the tradition and get a second or third or fourth round quarterback that will be a developmental guy. It's possible, but here's the problem. Flacco isn't playing that well right now, and he might not play that well next year, which guarantees you you've got a quarterback controversy if you have the equivalent guy from Ravens history be Chris Redman, who they, they got in the third round. You have him in town, except you don't know he's Chris Redman yet. And... Joe Flacco is your quarterback, and he's and he's having a bad year. You've got a quarterback controversy. Sure, we we haven't had one here in a decade. I mean, you know, not since Troy Smith and Flacco, basically. Right. Um, it's uh, it's not a pleasant situation to be with. I think the Ravens would like to avoid it. Um, the Tyrod Taylor situation. You know, he might have been the better quarterback to keep. Honestly, he's he's played pretty well with Buffalo, and he might have been a better choice. Uh, but but there was never any any question in the time he was here that he would take Flacco's job. Yeah. Sure. All right. Um, then how do we look at this season? You're, these two games are really important. Um, what about the bye is a good time where we could maybe clear out some house. You can't fire, you can't fire the players. You can't cut them necessarily because of money. Flacco's not going anywhere. But how much of the blame do we put on the quarterback coach and other coordinators during this? Do they they going to be job hunting during the bye week? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. The Ravens have a, a long-standing tradition of firing their offensive coordinators during the season. So I would not put it past the, the Ravens to fire Morty Morningweg and try and find somebody new. In in some ways, it gives a an additional pass to Flacco that – you know he has now another excuse that he's had his ninth coordinator or whatever it is in right. nine years, and um, I, I don't know the exact number, but it, but it, it could be done, and that that could be the way they go. Dean Pease, I believe, is probably safe for the remainder of the regular season. I think that the defense has done enough um, that they are not going to get on him schematically. I do think some of the remarks he's made this year indicate the end is very close for him. Uh, maybe for personal reasons, he really just doesn't care that much more about coaching, or, or maybe he's just gotten fed up enough with the situation, and frankly, maybe the way the fans and the media treat him here in Baltimore, that he'd rather move on and and uh, and do something different with his life. You know, he's one of the guys you hear all these stories about having grandkids that he loves, and you know, feeding him cake for breakfast kind of things. Right. Uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he decided this was the end. All right. Um, what about John Harbaugh? If the Ravens lose these next two games and the, they're kind of out of it, do you? I know he wait. I know Bashadi waited until late December to fire Billick, but Harbaugh. If things keep going downhill, how's that look for the bye? I, I would still say Harbaugh will finish out the season. I don't think they have. I don't think there's been a secret coaching candidate interview process that's gone on, and you're typically better off waiting to the end of the season to pick up a star coordinator from another team. So for a lot of reasons, you could have an interim coach, you could bring somebody in, but I don't feel like Harbaugh has lost the team in that manner. I think that, you know, they'll deal with it. They'll get through the season. You know, it may cause an extra loss if, if, uh, uh, but probably won't. Harbaugh is a winner and, and, uh, he makes generally good game management decisions with a few exceptions. Um, I, I think it is, his job is at risk at the end of the year, and I would not put any 
weight on the fact that they extended him by a year midseason. I think that effectively was Bishotti giving him a severance package to basically keep that running for one year in advance. So he'll probably get you know five million dollars of walking money uh, for for being fired when he is. Yeah, it's 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 being hopeful and giving him that extension. Um, Brian Billick doesn't have much to do. He's he's uh, still local. You yeah, can bring him he, in. Eastern Shore, and and I, you know I've heard Billick speak a couple times. He says, well, maybe for the perfect deal, I would do it. Right. His time, his time has passed. Come on, a nice interim, finish the final five, six games, see if you still like coaching, see, see if you can keep up with, with these uh, millennials out on the football field. Boy, I mean, he, uh, you know, he's a few years older than he was when he left here, like right. ten. Oh, I know. So, it's, a, it's a whole different generation of kids yeah. out on the field. Five, yeah. six games sounds like a nice time to figure it out. Yeah, they have brought in some some late '60s guys, Vermeil and other players like that came back to the game at a, at, a, at a later age. But I would I don't see it in his case. I think the Ravens ought to want to build, you know, get a franchise coach. The organization will draw a franchise coach so they can get, you know, somebody else's top coordinator, and you know, one of the two or three coordinators in the game that everybody wants. They should be able to get. Okay. Um. Let's talk about some of the guys on the field just a little bit more because I want to ask you about the wide receivers. Because once Wallace went down on Sunday and Macklin and Perriman were already scratched before the game started, it got us down to three wide receivers who in the star kind of seemed to be Griff Whalen. Who mm-hmm. Griff Whalen was signed a couple of days before the game. Um, he's known in the NFL as one of the worst, being a part of one of the worst plays in NFL history with the Colts. Um, but Joe seemed comfortable throwing to him. Is this really what we've got as wide receivers? Is Griff Whalen? I mean, if if you're just doing a reality check, unfortunately, that is where we are right now. Last year, when the Ravens are actually, I guess it was two years ago when the Ravens were in severe uh, dire straits, they did trade a draft pick to get a receiver, and it was Givens at uh, at this time of year. Uh, and he played out the season and did a little bit, but but they didn't have a receiver. Uh, they don't have a receiver this year who's of the category of Kamar Aiken who can pick up a lot of the heavy load and do that. The one guy I think we might see before the season is over is Quincy Adeboyjo off the practice squad if somebody else doesn't pick him up first. Uh, but anyway, the Ravens obviously have very limited options. What we're talking about are no game changers. The nice thing about a player like Adeboyjo is he might help you, and he's he's a rookie this year, and he would still have three years of team control associated. So it makes a lot of sense for a player like that. Griff Whalen in this last game, yeah, they threw the ball to him six times. He caught four of them for 23 yards, 5.8 yards per catch. I mean, that's not what you want at all. In fact, that's utterly horrible for right. a wide receiver. But, but he caught the ball. That's what the wide receivers <laughs> haven't been doing. He caught the ball. That that is true. All right, that is um, true. It's been a problem. No, I guess we would. It's been too. It's been. A few weeks of dealing with this. I guess there's no uh, wide receivers sitting out there in free agency. No old guys that want to come back and play. Uh, Steve Smith's still available, but no, I don't think there's anybody. I, 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 there's nobody at this point. We ought to look at the, the season as any player signed at this point, it borrows cap from a future year. I'm absolutely through with that as a fan here. If I, if If you want my vote, we will spend no more dollars on the 2017 Ravens than we've already spent. All right, so let's see what these guys can do. Yeah, let's see what these guys can do, and let's see what the youngest of these guys can do. So, you know, down the stretch, 
if the season is lost, that's not the end of the world. That means we get to see Bowser more, and and he'll take a few snaps from snaps from Suggs or Tim Williams. The same thing, you know. Hopefully, he'll be back and and healthy. We'll, we can we can finally put to bed the the Peanut and uh, Correa thing, or see if there's another position where Correa has to play. I think the Ravens probably need to give the slot corner job immediately to Jalen Hill and see what he can do. I think that's a move that isn't a player development move at all. I think that's just a better move. And then they can try and see how Webb can help the team on the back end and if he can get Jefferson better position. But there's a lot of player development things, most of them on defense, that are potentially exciting still down for the rest of this year. All right. Uh, well, with the player development, let's go to the offensive line and let's break down and go through those guys and how they uh, played. Stanley, um, he struggled. He, it seemed like he had a difficult day. What did you see? Well, he he had a difficult matchup for sure. He was up against Everson Griffin, who now is third in the NFL with nine sacks. Um, Griffin beat him cleanly for one sack that was at the beginning of the fourth quarter. There was another sack later in the fourth quarter where Stanley pushed Griffin past the pocket, but then Flacco took time to leave his spot, and he failed to unload the ball before Griffin caught him from behind for a sack fumble. So that wasn't really Stanley's fault on that one. Okay. I, I didn't charge him for that one, but it was... Uh, uh, Flacco's fault, and that's sometimes the sacks on the quarterback. There's an right. ample time and space opportunity. He didn't take advantage of it. Uh, overall, uh, it had a C for the game as I scored it. Uh, two full pressures, one sack, no other serious errors. Uh, you know, you, you have a C in a game like this where, you, where it's a difficult opponent. I don't really have a problem with that. It's an okay game. We wouldn't want Stanley to have that every week. We need him to be better than that, but uh, but one of those is fine. All right. Uh, next to him, we've got James Hurst, who each week you've been saying the past few weeks that he's had a good game, good game, good game. Did it continue? Yeah. I mean, his fourth straight good game this week, uh, an A after adjustment, .88 of a, on a raw score. So, uh, you know, he, he had a pretty significant adjustment, and, he, and he's easily an A with that. You know, the one thing I'll say about this is Hurst, it's, it's very apparent Hurst is going to be playing in the NFL last year. At the beginning of this year, we didn't know that. We didn't know he'd still be in the NFL as a 50-year player because it would carry additional salary requirements and uh, you know he probably would sign a two-year deal somewhere for you know somewhere in the three million dollar range with a couple hundred thousand dollars signing bonus I could see have seen that kind of a deal for a reserve offensive lineman now his play combined with the incredible implosion of offensive line talent league-wide I think he's clearly got a job I think he may start I, I, he's got He's played well enough at guard that I think he, he very well could do that. He can leverage the value he has by the fact that he has played some tackle in his career and, uh, and you know, advertise himself or have his agent advertise him as a swingman. Uh, you know, I think he's going to get a decent contract. And when I say that, you know, I think he might get um, three years, nine million, that kind of contract from somebody. I mean, for a guy who was questionable a year ago, about being in the league, three year nine million sounds pretty nice. Yeah, I mean, and and it's not he's not it's not even fixed at that point. I mean, if he were to play well for the rest of the year, he'll do better than that. And if he were to implode again, uh, he he might be uh, on the street or just looking for the very fringe of the NFL job. Still, I think he has a job, but he, he'd be he'd be he'd be really he'd be two years two million kind of thing or two years two and a half million kind of deal. Okay, the same kind. So well, anyway, he played very well. Making his polls now, seventeen of the twenty in the last three games. Uh, he's had a very, very solid run here, and I'd love to see it continue. I, I really credit the Ravens' coaching for how well they brought him along. I don't want to minimize what James did to elevate, elevate his game, 
But Dallas and Roman seem to have done a really good job teaching players how to do things better. And uh, they've got a lot of value out of a patchwork offensive line. Hurst is the centerpiece of that. Well, then that's good. That's something exciting to continue to watch this season, regardless of the score at the end of the game, is is continue to watch Hurst and uh, he how he continues to basically build his career. Yeah. Um, all right, my favorite guy to watch right now on the offensive line is Ryan Jensen. He just seems he's just fun in each game to watch. He's playing with his heart out there. Um, how do you do? Yeah, he really looks like he's enjoying football, doesn't he? He's laughing at, at the opponents, or he's he's you know blocking to the whistle and bullying people. It's it's it is fun to watch. Um, he had a tough tough uh, matchup in this game. Linval Joseph, who was probably the best player on the Vikings in the game. Uh, had a bunch of uh, pressures and whatnot, but most of it was not against Jensen. Uh, so he, he would normally be entitled to a fairly significant adjustment for, for facing Joseph, and his raw score was pretty good. But unfortunately, Jensen had a lot of low shotgun snaps in this game. One of them was fumbled by Flacco, but a bunch of them were causing Flacco to lose uh, focus on his receivers downfield by having to find the football down at uh, knee level. And and that's frustrating, and I hope it's something they can fix by this next game. Uh, he's a good player, and, and I think Ryan is going to get paid at the end of this year. Uh, he's, uh, he's certainly a talent, and we'll, uh, we'll hope it's in Baltimore. And you know what? I think the Ravens really are probably only going to be able to afford one of these two guys between Jensen and Hurst. Jensen will be a big money investment. Hurst, as I've said, might be a modest money investment that they could they could uh, get to fill in for another year. But honestly, I, I only think they can afford one. And Jensen is the guy I think they really need to get. Right. Jensen's the more long-term guy yeah. that you can trust. Um, speaking of trusting, you teased earlier in the show that Illuminor did not have a good game. Yeah, tough game for him. So he had a, a surprisingly solid first NFL start. Right. That was uh, like two, three weeks ago? Uh, it, was, it was last week. Uh, he, or you got to be I, was I, his I first see, start. Okay, it was just yeah, last time, week. All right, time time has flown by. So he had a surprisingly good game. He hadn't played a whole game. Is the, is is the thing? He played a whole bunch of half games, beginning in London when he played some. But but the f- previous week is his first start. Got to be this week had a much tougher time and gave up a a seven a seven yard sack to a, a fairly pedestrian defensive tackle Johnson. And uh, you know, give up a number of other pressure events, which are highlighted. I'll let you go out to the website and look at those and try and follow along in Game Pass if you would. Uh, he got a high F in the game. I saw PFF had him rated as a .32 or some such in the game, which is very, very low on their scale. Um, I didn't have him quite as bad as that. Uh, one thing I'll point to is there's still some hope in terms of the highlight blocks he throws. He throws some pretty nice highlight blocks. One of them was a pancake of bar in level two that came right at the end of the first half. And so they weren't expecting a run, but uh, Illuminor really uh, pancake bar pretty hard. And it's uh, it's worth uh, taking a look at if you if you have game pass. Anyway, high F for Illuminor. Uh, we will hope that Skura is back this week, but it may be him for one more week. Yeah, one thing that's interesting with this offensive line on uh, this past Sunday with the Vikings is these five guys played every single down. They, mm-hmm. There were 64 offensive plays, and all of them played in all 64, including the last guy we got to go over, Austin Howard. Yeah, so Austin Howard, uh, actually pretty similar game to Stanley. He allowed a sack to Hunter. That was early in the game. Forced the Ravens' first punt, in fact, on their opening drive. 
It's always bad when the Ravens get the ball first. I, I, for whatever reason, I really hate that. I think they've got a better chance to get the first score if the opponent gets the ball first, which is really saying something about this team. Yeah, it means, you're, it means you count on the defense. You don't trust the offense. You say, all right, we'll get an interception or something. Right. That's that's right. So you, you kind of and they did. They got an, an interception on the first defensive play, but uh, but that was it for the game after after that. So in any case, uh, Howard uh, has this is his first really middle of the road game. In the in the previous games, he'd always been great when the Ravens were winning and pretty bad at the replacement level when they've been losing. But this is his first game that was right in the middle, and I think the Ravens will do well if Howard could continue to perform at this level for this year and. Let me get greedy and say maybe one more year out of Austin Howard. He signed a three-year deal. I don't think anybody expects him to be for all, here for all three years, but it'd be great if the Ravens could get two out of him. That, that'd be good, and that's um, something to be hopeful for, and we'll see where it goes. Um, I hope the line can uh, – I mean, if that line plays the same way tomorrow and you see just some maybe a slight improvement with uh, Illuminor or Skur in that position, that's not a bad line. We can no, you're right. That. Yeah, it's 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 you know they've they've really not been the problem for the offense this year. I mean, the injuries have mounted and they've been tremendous, but the coaching has been at a good level and honestly the play's been okay. Losing Yanda was terrible. I mean, whoever they replace Yanda with is going to be a lot less good, but in general they've done a really good job with the offensive line. All right, um, let's get to the mailbag. We pushed it off on Monday's episode when we were talking down the defense because of my schedule basically but uh so that means today we get to go over defense offensive and then there's one in here that i don't know it's we can call it general we can call it sideline it's about the coordinators um but let's start off with we talked a bunch about the offense let's take a break and let's talk about the defense and the first question comes from uh edgar catano that's what i'm going with seemed to me keenum had a great deal of ample time and space opportunities was it inside or outside pressure that the Ravens were lacking? Okay, real good question, Edgar, and I appreciate that. Uh, 17 out of 31 ATS is what I have for Keenum, and that's a, I just counted that up, so I definitely could have missed, in a, missed a, uh, uh, one or more here, but, uh, but 17 out of 31 is what I got. The Ravens didn't bring numbers in this game, not much anyway. They only had, let's cut it out here. 10 times they rushed five out of those 31. Okay. Um, so they, they, they weren't trying for excessive pressure. They never did rush six in the game. Uh, so they also didn't have much in the way of uh, deceptive pass rushes, three again in the game. They did do a little more blitzing. They had, uh, looks like, nine blitzes, and all those came in the first half. They basically gave up on the blitz in the second half. So that must have been an adjustment there that they weren't getting anywhere in terms of sacks. They just decided... We'll, we'll fall back and do more coverage in the second half. But all their deceptive blitzes and, uh, and uh, sorry, all their deceptive pass rushes and every one of their individual blitzes was in the first half. All right. Uh, next guy, Dustin Cox. I kind of feel like I was channeling Dustin Cox uh, early in the show yeah. when we were talking about some of the stages of grief. And he's asking, is Dean Pease a bad fit for our defense? We don't seem to be nearly aggressive enough in getting after a QB. Well, I th that's been a common kind of complaint about him. One of the things that about the way Dean Pease you know, sets up his defense is he really wants to be very 
force the offense into making mistakes. And it's not a bad thing when you have clearly better talent. But Ryan and uh, Lewis had to go through periods when their talent was not obviously a lot better than the other team. Ryan, in particular, in 2007, when the whole defensive backfield dropped dead at the same time, basically. A lot of injuries back there. And, and uh, Ryan in 2005 had to get by with three defensive backs. And, and Lewis, of course, in the early years had a very patchwork defense, and particularly on the line, uh, before the 2000 team, actually before the 1999 team that he had to deal with. What, what I mean, what, why is that important? Well, it's important because those guys had to learn how to scheme for pressure as opposed to just allowing the game to come to them. And Pease, during the time he's been here, he's, he's coached the defense basically in a way that they don't aggressively seek out turnovers the way I wish they could. And they, until this year, in the, the early games this year, they hadn't gotten many turnovers. So they did lead the league interceptions last year. The year before, they had six interceptions the whole year, which is just an unbelievably low number. So, you know, Pease's switch to the dime this year is the biggest change the team has made. It is an aggression move because you're, you're taking off some size on the field on third down in order to get some more ball skills. I like it, and, and they've done well with it. But uh, you know, one of the, the new thing that Pease will have to deal with is really trying to figure out how to get some play out of the, out of the secondary, the back end in particular, with Weddle and Jefferson both struggling, to try and figure out if maybe Webb can help with that, if they need to re- change the responsibilities of Jefferson to make him more effective, whether that means bringing him up into the box, covering a tight end directly, using him more maybe in the box almost as a dime on some other plays, but just doing something different, which maximizes his strength, which most of which are closer to the line of scrimmage and not on the back end. Okay. And that's what, as Baltimore fans, that's what we're kind of used to in Baltimore is that more aggressive defense uh, from the past seasons that were, uh, at least the Super Bowl seasons. Um, Now Sweet asks, what's going on with Matt Judon? I barely notice him. Okay, well, Judon, let's see how many snaps he played in the last game, but he's, he's played very well two of the last three weeks. He just didn't didn't uh, have a very visible game this week. But uh, so far for the season as a whole, Judon has played, let's see, boom, 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 72% of the snaps. So uh, not bad there. Uh, and they, in Minnesota, against Minnesota, he was in there for 49 snaps. So certainly uh, not a bad total out of 64. It's about three quarters of the snaps here. The team was a little bit better with him in the game. They allowed 5.1 yards per play as opposed to 5.6 without him. It uh, probably means he missed one of the big run plays or a big pass play. But uh, he's he's looked good in coverage once. He looked good uh, against the run another game. And he's had some good pass rushing as well. So Bowser had all three of those in, in week two uh, when he won the defensive rookie of the week. Judon has kind of patched together some good games that give you hope that he could be the complete Sam linebacker um, that I thought I saw out of out of Bowser earlier in the year. So Judon, Judon has the job right now. It's his to lose. And hopefully he he's one of the guys we want to see for the rest of the season really step up his game and, and prove that the team is ready to let Suggs go. Right. And when you're a defensive player, it's not always bad if you're not on TV all the time. If, That's true. If you're, if you're, that means you're keeping you're keeping the pass away from your direction. For a cornerback, that's certainly true, and and he has coverage responsibilities as right. a slime linebacker. He often has to take the tight end, so he's the most likely to drop from the line of scrimmage. But he also needs to needs to be seen as a pass rusher sure. a little more than he has so far. Sure, I get that. Um, 
but that might be a little bit on Dean Pease and, and where they need him to play. Um, let's look at the offense side. And here we're going to start with Douglas Mintz, who asks, he's got a, a, he's got a bunch of question marks in this, but it's more of like a statement. How bad is the offense? Is it horrible, disgusting, or atrocious? Well, you know, we need a rhetorical category. And I, I, Douglas, I appreciate your love. I appreciate your level of frustration. Uh, I would put you clearly in stage two. You sound like you're angry more than anything else, as opposed to uh, uh, another stage of grief. I hope you haven't given up on the season. Maybe you have in terms of the offense. It's a bad offense. Look, we all know that. It, it, we've got to deal with this. This is our offense that we get for the rest of the season to watch. You know. Right. enjoying the game, enjoying the player development. Maybe it's the offensive line or whatever. I don't know how to get you through this, Doug, other than to say, you know, it's probably not helping you to just be constantly angry with the players that are there because they're not going to get any better. Right. Well, I'm proud of him. He's not off the ledge yet because he did not add the D option for all of the above. <laughs> so, um, PFF Neal. Uh, has a comment about uh, Ronnie Stanley had helped on 42% of the pass plays and Austin Howard 37.3%, which third and which ranked third and seventh most among tackles in the entire NFL, where the average is 29.2. Explain to me what this is and what's going okay. on. Okay, so so for starters, PFF Neil is Neil Hornsby, who is the founder of Pro Football Focus. And he's someone I talked to years ago when they were first starting up, and we had some good conversations. He, he's uh, in the UK, and uh, you know, if you don't have prejudices against UK people doing your, your, your talent assessment on, on uh, American football, then you won't have a problem with him. Very sharp football guy. Uh, built their system originally, and uh, I rarely see them on Twitter. Is the weird thing. All the other PFF guys, you know, it's like they they they, they carry around their tweet deck with them in some sort of virtual space, hanging around their head. But well, they do. Neil it's, doesn't. It's, it's, it's called an iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? That's yeah, that we'll, that we'll catch you up there with Ken. There's okay. these smartphones. People it's, carry Twitter with them. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Anyway. Uh, Neil uh, pointed out that Ronnie Stanley had help on 42% of the pass play. So I asked the question, was was that inside help and outside help, meaning is it offensive linemen or is it only eligible receivers? He said it was a combination of the two. PFF can't give that information out. I'm not sure he would anyway, but they can't give it out. But their team uh, clients have access to that information. It does not surprise me that Ronnie Stanley has had more help. The Ravens do a lot of chipping in this offense. Um, and Austin Howard, I know he's had plenty of chipping help. Uh, it, I have seen more times where Hurst has been late to pick up a B gla- uh, sorry, an A-gap blitz, which is between him and the center. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that he's, he's helping Stanley. So Stanley's graded out pretty well. He's done so with a lot of help. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily a terrible thing, but, but it probably does mean we need, to, we need to look at his grade in that light. And the same goes for, for Howard, that you know, he's done so with a fair amount of help. It's a very interesting stat. It's one of the best things I've seen recently from, from PFF in that, along that vein. All right, uh, let's get back to the stages of grief with Dirk Schwenk. Looking back, how huge of a loss was Danny Woodhead? Can he return this year? So this guy's blaming the whole season on Danny Woodhead going down in week one. Okay, so it could be a little bit of stage four, but then he says, can he, can he return this year? So he's still hopeful. Uh, my understanding is Danny Woodhead can return after the bye. So the first game after the bye is the first time he can be back. I don't know 
where Danny is in terms of rehabbing. But he can be, as soon as he starts practicing, which I don't know whether that's next week might be the first start. He then has a three-week window to get back once they start that. And once they have Danny Woodhead practice, they use that second DT, uh, IR DTR spot. So they've designated him to return. And they've already used one on Kennedy. So, uh, you know, they're at a point where it's the it's the last uh, uh, with the Alamo right now. And I think they really need Danny Woodhead for the rest of this year if they're going to have any chance to make the playoffs. Sure, sure. That's one of those guys to uh, give you a little bit of hope. Um, all right, now here's the general category, the coordinators, the sidelines. Dan Anderson, who's asks, will the too-many-injury narrative be enough to save the coordinator's job this offseason, and even more than the coordinator's, the John Harbaugh job? Well, you, you see this a lot. I, I, first of all, great question, Dan, and I love the effort that people are clearly putting into these uh, these questions. But, Dan, uh, you've hit on a lot of the right points here is that I expect the offseason narrative to be a little bit different. And one of the one of the press conferences that's important to watch is the Bashadi State of the Ravens press conference. And that'll give you an idea of what's been sold to him in terms of how the club has performing. Now obviously Bashadi has an interest personally in saying the Ravens haven't performed well due to injuries as opposed to it's a problem with the coach he hired or the front office, or even just the play of the team was lost for any other reason. Uh, but he, he did, he's done so well in the past. I have a feeling we're not going to see the same kind of conference here. I think we probably will see some changes this offseason. I think that he, he was basically given a one-year leash at the beginning of this season to, to say, these are the two coordinators I want to stick with. He did so. He, he, he stuck with Morningweg and Pease. I don't think it'll be just them to go if there are uh, cuts. I think Morningweg alone could go, but I don't think Morningweg and Pease go and Harbaugh stays. I think if, if those two go, then I think Harbaugh will go as well. Right. If you're getting rid of both coordinators, you're putting a lot of blame on the coach, head coach. That's right. So That's right. All right, Ken. Well, uh, less than 24 hours now until the Ravens take the field again. At least 46 of them, maybe? Yeah, we hope uh, Who knows how many. Someone's <laughs> going to be out there in some all-purple color rush jerseys. <laughs> yep. It's a good night for your Bowser jersey. That's one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. It's just it's hard. <laughs> I, do, I do think the color rush jerseys look pretty nice. I'm not a fan of the purple pants. I like the purple tops. I think purple tops, black pants, if we're talking okay. jerseys. Um, all right, Ken, clearly you broke this down a whole lot more on Russell Street Report. Yeah, appreciate that. So if you go out to Russell Street Report, look for film study. You'll get all the things you need to follow the game on Game Pass, and that's really the idea that's that you have the transparency to follow offensive line play or defense there. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Film Study Ravens. Love to hear from you. Uh, hashtag film study mailbag is that right hashtag yeah, is hashtag, what your kids say today hashtag or pound sign sign if you're uh, from pff yeah if, or if you're over 50 it's it's pound sign that's great right right when you're when you can't don't have the iphone and you got to stuck at your computer <laughs> to use twitter you can do your pound sign film study mailbag all right i'm i'm uh obviously a dinosaur i get it anyway i we want to also talk about your show josh uh yeah my show section 336 and this week on the show, we talked about the World Series, the Ravens' struggles, and Major League Baseball did something a little weird the past week where a document leaked 
which sounds like I think they put it out on purpose to see how people would react but don't want to claim it, about Major League Baseball expanding to Montreal and Portland and then because of that restructuring and getting rid of the American League and National Leagues altogether. So we discussed that as well. Really? Just eight divisions or, or four yeah. divisions or what do they do? Uh, okay. Four divisions, eight teams. Four divisions of eight teams each. And then and then they do two each or four teams making the playoffs in each? Twelve teams making the playoffs. So that's four in each. Wow. Um, and the bottom of those, those four, like the number four slot in each division would be a one-game wild card, I believe. Wow. Play. Okay. So that's a big change. Yeah, it's, it's a big change. And we're American League baseball. For the National League baseball, I imagine the DH go, it becomes how everyone plays. So that's they're definitely talking about some big changes. Yeah, it, that'll be a tough tough thing for NL fans to finally take if well, it ever happens. The big thing that's tough about that for me to take is a team in freaking Montreal again uh, after they stole half our market or more. Uh, uh yeah, I know. I would much rather say that send the Nationals back to Montreal. Sure. I don't think we have that choice. Um, the big thing for me is how it changes rivalries because we would not be in the same division anymore as New York, Boston, or Toronto. Not necessarily a terrible thing. No, uh, no. Financially, I kind of prefer to be in a division with the Nationals, the Phillies, the Pirates, the Marlins, um, Rays. None of those teams scare me. The Braves, I'm cool with that. Right. And none of, I, you want to be in a want to be in a team where you can compete econ, a league where you can compete economically or a division where you can compete right. economically. Originally, when the divisions were done, I was all for the Orioles playing with the Yankees and Red Sox. But we had the real market then. We did. The, you know, the Ravens, sorry, the Ravens, the Orioles led the league in attendance, led the majors in attendance in the 1990s. A lot yep. of people don't remember that. And you know, this was a premier team, and it got taken away and carved up with this crap that happened with Montreal right people really don't understand how much that impacts and uh who knows maybe now the guys on the west coast will feel a little bit about, uh, with it with if they move a team to Portland and how that affects the Seattle market mm-hmm. yeah probably will so all right Ken well a short week so we'll talk in just a few days again life's good Josh talk to you then all right. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. 
Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.